you would pray with me and then we're going to open the scriptures together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day that you've created. Uh, We thank you for this place that you've provided that we can meet together. Uh, We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for coming to us, showing us exactly what you're like and what you're doing and what you call us to in the person and work of Jesus. And so we thank you for all these wonderful gifts. We pray this morning, as we open your word, as we spend time thinking about uh, our identity that is found in you and what that means for us and what it looks like to follow you in every area of our lives, that you would just continue to teach us and to show us and to guide us. Uh, we confess that we can't do any of this without the power and working uh, of the Holy Spirit, taking the truths of your words and applying to them or to our hearts and our minds and, and teaching and guiding and showing us. And so we pray that you would do that this morning, that you would teach and lead and guide us into all truth, and that it would be for your honor and your glory. We thank you for this time we have together. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, If you've been with us last week, we started uh, a new series that will go this week and then three more after. So for about five weeks, we're thinking through who we are as the church, our identities that are found in Jesus and what that means for us. And what that looks like. And so when we're talking about that and we're we're thinking on that together, it's the church universal. And what I mean by that is all those that have come to faith in Jesus, that have put their faith in what God has done in Jesus Christ and by grace through faith have come into that saving relationship with him. And so that includes all believers, the church. And so our identity in Christ, and we mean that, but we also mean here as we're doing this series and thinking about who we are, of who we are as a local body, how we see this played out right here in our church and how we're seeking to do those things and live out those identities that we have in Jesus. And so last week we talked about this idea of being gospel centered, having the good news of what God has done in Jesus be at the center of everything that we do. And today we're going to turn and and think about this idea uh, of being followers of Christ or what we call disciples. Um, Sometimes uh, in the church, depending on what you grew up, what church you grew up in or kind of the areas or, or, or where you heard this, you know, at different times as followers of Jesus or, or oftentimes we're referred to as Christians or, or maybe you would often lead uh, sometimes depending on what denomination you grew up with. Sometimes you would do that. Say, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Presbyterian or I'm whatever it was. And so sometimes we use those different labels. But if we look at the Bible and we look at the way Jesus talks and and his early followers and what they said, overwhelmingly what's used is this idea of disciples, uh, to be disciples of Jesus. And that was kind of the the normal uh, term they would use at that time and and what it looked like. And so today that's what we're going to talk about discipleship, because that is the mission that Jesus gave us. Uh, We say that frequently here as a church. We We want to make disciples who make disciples. That's kind of our mission and vision. That's what Jesus told us to do. Go make disciples of all nations. And so when we talk about that, I want us to be clear on what that means and and what we mean by that, what that looks like, how we live that out. And so let me just start with this so we're clear. Uh, We say this, or I feel like I say this a lot, but that doesn't mean you've heard it or you've heard it a lot. But uh, what discipleship is and what we define that as and the definition we've been using is that we want to grow in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life under the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And if you'll notice when you leave here today, if you go out towards the fellowship hall, we have snacks after whatever in the room between here and the fellowship hall. There's there's a thing up on the wall now that kind of walks you through what that looks like. And we actually have that definition up on the wall. 
And the reason it's there is that we would all kind of be speaking the same language when we talk about uh, being disciples of Jesus and what that means. And so it's up there for that reason and that purpose. And some of the things I'm going to talk about, if you go in there and you look at the wall, you'll kind of see them visually laid out for you because we want to be real clear in our mission and vision of making disciples who make disciples. And so becoming obedient or growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life by the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about that, oftentimes we can quickly hear that. And what I'm going to say today and then take it and kind of invert the way this works. And what I mean by that is sometimes we'll say, well, that's what it means to be obedient to Jesus. And that's what a disciple looks like. And so we need to go and do all these things. And if we do these things, then God's pleased with us. Or that we're now Christians because we've done these things really well. And we're now disciples of Jesus because we're doing all this correctly or right. And if we think that way, we get this backwards. And I want you to understand that we come into a saving relationship with God our Father through what Christ has done by grace, through faith, and what Jesus has done for us. And as that happens, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and it makes us into a new creation and what is now true of us in Jesus as we are united with him, we begin to live that out and we begin to grow in obedience to who Jesus is. But God's grace comes in our life and we're saved by the work of Jesus. And then that becomes manifest evidence in our life. And I want you not to switch that because oftentimes in our fleshly nature and the way we think we switch it, we take it to be what I do makes me who I am. But the gospel is different than that. It's what Jesus has done that makes you who you are. And then we get to live out of our identity in Christ because of what Christ has done. And now we get to walk that out. And that's a really, really important clarification that we need to have as we go into this. It begins and ends with Jesus and his grace to us. And then we get to walk that out. And so I want us to not switch that. We could easily say we're, we're trying to be like Jesus and be obedient to him so that we're forgiven. And that's not it. It's the exact opposite. Michael Frost, a, a pastor and professor in Australia, said this. The quest to emulate Jesus isn't folly when it's embraced by those who know they are forgiven for all the ways they will fall short. It's a daring exploit. We get to now live this way because of what Christ has done for us as we seek to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life. And so we're going to talk about discipleship today. Broad strokes, big picture of what we see Jesus doing and what it looks like. And I'm just going to say to you right from the very beginning, in my experience growing up in the church, and I'm, I'm thankful and grateful from the time I was a little kid, my parents had me uh, in a church and, and teaching me and showing me what God's word says and all those things. But my overwhelming experience of what discipleship was shown as in the church was just a fraction of what Jesus did when he made disciples. That's just my experience. Maybe that's not your experience. But what I saw growing up in Bible believing kind of non-denominational evangelical type churches was discipleship meant Bible study. Right? If you were going to be a disciple of Jesus, you did Bible studies and you got together with a few other believers and you dug in and you studied the Bible. And that's what it meant to be a disciple. Now, please, please hear me. That is part of what it means to be a disciple. Those are good things. I'm not in any way uh, belittling that. But what I would say is if we look to Jesus as the way he made disciples and what that looked like, that's uh, woefully inadequate. He did much more than that. 
It's calling us to something more, much fuller than just Bible studies. And so I want us to have a fuller picture of what that looks like when we begin to consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But please hear me, it does include that. And some of those things that I saw growing up, that is part of it. And it's a good thing. And I'm thankful for those things. And so I'm in no way saying that in negative light. But I want us to have a bigger picture of what it looks like. And so as we think about discipleship, I'm going to give you kind of three snapshots. And so we're going to look at some different passages. I'm going to move fairly quickly in some of those because I'm trying to paint a big picture for you instead of just drilling down to one passage like we, we normally do. And so the first kind of snapshot I want you to think about is this idea that when we think of spiritual disciplines in the church and historically, that's what I was always kind of taught and saw as what discipleship was. If you don't want to know what I mean by spiritual disciplines, we mean Bible study and prayer and fasting and solitude and service and doing these different things and integrating that into our life. And that was discipleship. That's what it looked like. And I want to affirm all those things. Those are all good things. In fact, I want to show you that we get that from Jesus. John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking uh, to his disciples in the upper room the night before he would die. Right. The night before he goes to the cross and he's telling him and he's leading them and all these things. And in John chapter 15, Jesus says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches and whoever abides in me and I am I in him. He it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So Jesus says, unless you're abiding in me, this idea of making disciples and going out and doing these other things, you're not going to be able to do it. He says that so clearly, but then listen to how he even qualifies abiding in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for me, for you. And Jesus says, abiding in me is my words abiding in you. And apart from him, you can't do anything and you're not going to bear fruit and it's never going to happen apart from dwelling richly in Jesus and in his words and what he's told us. And so I want to start right there with what we see Jesus saying. Jesus is so very clear when he talks about following him and being his disciple and what it looks like that God's word is going to be right at the center of that. Uh, it's a real interesting study if you ever take the time to read through the Gospels with your eye on what was Jesus's view of the scriptures. Right? That would be the Old Testament at that time. But what is Jesus's view of the Bible? What did he think of it? And what you will see as you work your way through the Gospels is that everything Jesus said was bathed in Scripture. From the time he's 12 years old in the temple questioning them about the Scriptures as a boy to the first time we see him as an adult when he goes out into the desert to pray and fast for 40 days and he comes to the end and he's at his temptation and he answers every single temptation with God's word. You see it in the way he talks to his disciples. You see that every time that he's challenged by the religious leaders of the day, he always answers them with it is written. And you see it as he goes to the cross in his agony at the deepest, most intimate moments, the biggest struggles. He's continually quoting scripture. And if we want to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life. He tells us, you abide in my word and my words in you. And then he models that perfectly for us. 
And so I don't want you to hear me saying that Bible study or spending time in God's word is less than or not part of this. The only thing I'm, I'm going to drive at today is we say that and we hold to that and we usually stop there because it's so important. And I don't want you to hear me belittling any of that. It is absolutely vital. And I'd say the same is true with the other kind of classic spiritual disciplines, prayer and fasting and solitude, spending time with God. We see Jesus doing all these things. He would go off in the early morning and go off late at night. Sometimes he'd go off all night away from his disciples to pray and spend time with the father. And he's constantly praying and he's constantly fasting. And you see him doing this over and over and over again. So I want us to say clearly that all those classic spiritual disciplines that we've heard, we find all those in Jesus's life. And there's good reason that we say if we're making disciples and we want to grow in obedience to Jesus and we want to become like our teacher in all these ways that we are going to be praying and we are going to be spending time in God's word and we are going to be fasting and we are going to be getting alone with God and doing all those things. And so the first snapshot I just want to impress upon you is, yes, that is true. I want to affirm all those things. I want to encourage you in those and spending time in God's word. Uh, We have a, a packet here that if you've not gotten or you've not gone through, it's a personal discipleship plan. And the whole first section is how am I going to grow in my relationship with the father? And a lot of it has to do with reading the Bible and prayer and fasting and what those things look like and how you integrate those disciplines into your life. And we start there because you can't do anything else without that. Abide in me and my word in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus says. And so this whole idea of wanting to make disciples who make disciples, if we don't start there, we're done. It's not going to work. And so I want us to to hear that. But here's the thing that I think often happens. We emphasize those things and we come to spiritual disciplines and we begin to take it as I'm going to do these things myself in isolation. Or maybe I'll come to a class or a meeting at certain points and we'll do that. And then that becomes all of discipleship. And that's not what Jesus did. That's not the fullness of the image that we get. It's not just that. And I want to show you this with a couple snapshots. If you want to turn to, to John 2 and Luke 5, what Luke just read for us just a second ago. And as we step in, this is very early in Jesus' ministry. In fact, uh, John chapter 2 is the first miracle that we hear recorded for us in Jesus' life. And if you're reading through uh, in John chapter 1, right before that, Jesus calls Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, disciples, to come follow him and to enter in and to follow him as their rabbi, their teacher, which would mean they would live all their life with him. They would spend time with him. They'd memorize the sayings. They would go places with him. They'd do all these things with him. That's what discipleship looked like. And he invited them in to come and do this. And the very first thing it says in John chapter 2 is they went to a wedding in Cana. If you don't know about a wedding at this time or in this place and what it was like, uh, it was a party that went on for the better part of a week. It was usually three or four days. It involved the whole community. Everybody would come together and it was this great big kind of social gathering. 
And so what John shows us as he's showing us Jesus and calling his disciples and bringing them in is the first thing that Jesus does is he says, you guys come with me and they go to a party. When we read in Luke's gospel in chapter five, it says after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me and leaving everything. He rose and followed him. Levi is another name for Matthew. I don't want you to be confused by that same guy. Right. But he says, come with me. And he comes with him. And then it says very next thing. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So first thing Jesus does or it's recorded for us with these other disciples, with Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, they go to a great big, huge party. That's a wedding feast. But then when he calls Levi, the very next thing is Levi has a great big party at his house and invites all his friends. And you see these two snapshots of, of what Jesus is doing with these disciples as he's first calling them. And if you start to look closely at what he's doing and, and why God inspired it this way, why God inspired John to write these things down and in this order and to retell it like this. If you look closely to what he's doing at the wedding at Cana, we just read it, right? They go there and it says they're out of wine, right? Jesus's mother comes to him and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And you may read that and he says, uh, woman, what does that have to do with me? It sounds terrible. I always say this whenever we come to that. Right? It sounds terrible in English, but woman really is, is a is a term of respect. And it's more like ma'am. Right. So it doesn't it's not really quite as harsh as it sounds in English. But it's kind of like, OK, well, this isn't my party. And then he says, she says, tell them to do whatever he says. And he says, now there were it says there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. When people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And so you have this thing that Jesus does, this first miracle, and he goes into this place. And here's what I want you to think about. Oftentimes when we start to make discipleship about these disciplines and these things that we do in isolation in this certain place, what ends up happening a lot of the times is it creates this dualism. These are times with God. We come here on Sunday. We go to a Bible study. I have my quiet time in the morning. I maybe get away to pray. Those are times with God. But then I do all the other stuff. I go to work and I deal with my kids and I go to the gym and I go to these other places. And what ends up happening is this is time with God over here and this is everything else. But when Jesus calls his first disciples, the first thing he does is he takes them to the party. He does it with Matthew and he does it with Philip and Andrew and Peter. And he says, come with me. And he goes into this place and they run out of wine. And so what does Jesus do? He says, I want you to take the jars that are for the purification rites that the Jews use for their washing. Right. If you were with us when we went through the Pentateuch and we talked about all the ritual cleanliness that went with worshiping God and how we approached him and what they do. That's what those jars were there for. That they could wash in certain ways so that they're ceremonially clean and they do those things. And here's what Jesus does. He says, fill those up 
and then take them to the master of the feast and they open it up and it's now become wine. Jesus takes the jars of purification that they used for their for their washing and all those things. And he turns it into the wine of hospitality. And he blows apart this idea that this over here is time with God and the rest of it's not. Do you see what he's teaching his disciples from the very beginning? It's all time with God. There's no time that it's not. There's nowhere that we go that we're not having the opportunity to show the glory of God in all things. And he says, you guys come with me and you come into this place and I'm going to start to show you what it looks like to follow me in every area of your life. Friends, that's what we're saying discipleship is. Obeying Jesus in every area of our life and beginning to see that it's all time with God. The same thing happens in Luke chapter five. He calls Matthew, who's a tax collector, and he invites all his friends that probably aren't the people that normally go to church. Right. It says that the tax collectors and sinners, the people that nobody likes and they kind of look down on and they're on the fringes. And there's Jesus sitting in the middle of all of them. And it makes the religious leaders upset. And they go, what is he doing? Right? They even say that to his disciples. What is he doing? Why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, this is why I'm here. And this is what it looks like to follow me. And so I want you to begin to get a bigger view of what discipleship looks in the way that Jesus talks about it. He invites his disciples, those that are closest to him, that he's seeking to show them what it looks like to follow him in every area of their lives. And he invites them in. And he doesn't say we're going to meet for a Bible study once a week. He doesn't say I'm going to meet you at the building on Sunday for an hour. He says, come with me. And we're going to go to all these places where these people are and we're going to love them right where they are. And it's not going to be a huddle up for just a Bible study. We're going to go into all these places and we're going to show them what God is like. And he invites his disciples to go with him. He says, come with me and we're going into these places. Now, I want to be clear on a couple things. One, if we're not abiding in Jesus and his word in us, we can go do those things under the guise of, oh, yeah, I'm making disciples when we're really just hanging out with other people. Jesus says, you abide in me and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. And so these things can't be divorced of each other. They go together. But as we abide in him and as we spend time in his word and as we're prayerfully considering and then we go into those places Discipleship is all of life in community as we go on mission together. That's what Jesus showed us. It's the way Jesus made disciples. It's the way he called us into experiencing and living that out. And you see him doing this over and over and over. It's never meet me at this place at this time. It's like, let's go together. And let's invite everybody into this. And when people challenged him on why are you with those people, he's like, this is why I'm here. This is what it looks like. And I would just ask, is that what people say of you as a follower of Jesus? Is that a normal question that you would get? Why are you in that place and why are you there and why are you spending time with those people? Go, man, that's what my Lord and Savior looked like in everything he did. And we get to do the same thing. We're invited into that. And so not only is it kind of the historic 
disciplines of prayer and spending time with the Lord and knowing his word and seeing what those things. But then it's beginning to live that out in all of life in community as we go on mission together. There's one last snapshot I want you to think about. Right. It's it's both of those things. But there's one more area here. What Jesus did. I think this is a common misconception. Now, come tell me later if you weren't sure of this or not, because I always hear people go, really? You know, Jesus had a lot more than 12 disciples. I don't know if you're aware of that. He didn't just have 12. He had 12 that he spent a lot of time with and he fed into and he he did a lot of things specifically with them and he kind of went deeper with them. But he had a lot more than that. Uh, In fact, in in Luke chapter 10, it says after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he's got 72 that he just sent out. And then there's other places, if you read carefully in the Gospels, that there's a whole other group of people that keep popping up. Uh, Right after Jesus' crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea shows up. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, disciple of Jesus. You're like, oh, Joseph of Arimathea, he's a different guy. Here he is. There was a group of ladies that was helping support him and spending time with him. And you see all these different pockets of people. But what you see, if you look closely, is he had the 72 and then he had 12. You ever think why there's 12? Any idea on why he had 12 disciples that we always talk about the 12? How many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12, right? And so now the way God was speaking to people through Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, showing them what he's like. Now he's calling 12 men to himself and he's going to send them out. And this is now how he's going to show the world what he's like in his church by a spirit indwelling people. Right. So he was very deliberate in what he was doing. So he takes the 12. And he's got the 72 and he's got this group of people and then he has the 12. But then there's certain times where he grabs three guys, Peter, James and John. Right. Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. There were certain times that Jesus would take Peter, James and John and say, you guys come with me. Show them the transfiguration of him and his glory standing there. And they're like blown away by this thing. And what we see in the way that Jesus made disciples is not only was it discipleship in all of life, in community, on mission. But then there were times that he was going deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. He would take a few Peter, James and John or he'd take the twelve. Right? He'd go preach to the masses and people would be asking questions. And then he'd take the twelve and he'd say, come with me. And he explained to them. They go, what were you saying? What did that mean? And he'd spend time with them. But then there were times when he'd take Peter, James and John and he'd go deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And if we're going to make disciples in the way that Jesus made disciples, it's not only going to be abiding in his word and prayerfully seeking him in all these ways. It's going to be as a community in all of life going on mission together. But there's going to be times when we withdraw and we pull away and we go deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. We need people to know us, to know where we struggle, to be able to speak the truth to us in love, to remind us of our identity in Christ. And we need people in our life to do that. And if we want to make disciples the way Jesus made the disciples, this is the way he did it. 
It wasn't just a Bible study once a week. It wasn't just these little areas or pockets. It was in all of life in these ways and then going deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And so when I say all that, I kind of paint those snapshots for you. I want you to understand uh, the way we try to live that out and what we're operating in a way we're, we're trying to do that. We have what we call missional community groups that meet during the week. And we want our missional community groups to be growing up to be not just a Bible study. Not just a time where believers get together once a week and encourage each other, although it's partly that. And it may be a Bible study at different times and it might be a prayer meeting at different times. And that's great and that's good. But if it's going to look like Jesus making disciples, it's going to be people living on mission together. So we call them missional community groups. We want to be on mission. We want to be inviting people into that. We want people to look at us as a body when we go out and we're meeting at homes and we're going throughout the week and we're doing things and they go, why are you spending time with those people? Because that's what our Savior looks like. We've come to proclaim the good news of who God is and what he's done. And so we want to be moving in that way. We want to be looking at areas and ways that we can serve our community We can proclaim what Jesus is like. We can invite people into that. And as we grow in fullness of that, and it becomes more and more all of life, it becomes less about meetings once a week and a way of life. Because that's what Jesus did. So we see him doing and everything he's doing. But then we talk about DNA groups. DNA groups are three or four guys together or three or four ladies together. Deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. Probably going to look a little bit more like a Bible study. Prayer and confession and checking in with one another and what's happening in your life and knowing those things. And the reason that, not real bright, to be honest, (laughs) I don't have some great way I'm going to do this. I just look at what Jesus does and I see that he's on mission in all of life with other people. But then he goes deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And that's how we came up with that, right? We gather together as a larger group. And we open God's word and we sing his praises and we spend that time together. And then we go out of this place and we get together in a smaller group as we go on mission together. And then we get together in even a smaller group, deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And all of that came from that's what to see Jesus doing. And so I just tell you, as you as you leave here, as we leave today and you go out the doors and you go towards the fellowship hall on the wall, visually represented as everything I just said. The best we could do it. And it says disciples who make disciples. And there's a definition becoming obedient to Jesus in every area of our life under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in or I'm sorry, up. Right. We talk about that growing up in our relationship with the Lord. We want to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it says deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And it says in that is growing in our relationship with one another. And in between that is DNA groups up and in. That's what we're trying to do in a DNA group. And then on the other end, it says out that we would go and be sent in the way that Jesus has sent us, that we'd be a family of missionary servants. We're on mission together to the world. And that says missional community group. And that's it. It's the way we're seeking to make disciples who make disciples. And the reason it's on the wall is when you come in and I want you to hear this. If our Mission and vision is make disciples who make disciples. We need to know how we're seeking to do that. That's how we're seeking to do that. 
And so if you come in, you go, okay, you're about making disciples. How do you make disciples? I'm going to walk you in there and we're going to look at that. And I'm going to go, this is how Jesus did it deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer on mission and all of life. This is what it looks like. This is how we do it. And here's how we want to go through that. And then we have a discipleship packet that's up in and out those same three areas. And it's questions for each one. And you read through it and you start to go, okay, how do I begin to integrate these things into my life? What is the next step? And we'd ask you to prayerfully work through that. Bring it to Luke or I or one of your elders. We'd like to pray with you through that, what it looks like, and begin to make steps in obedience. If we're going to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life, how does that start? We see the things that God tells us and we prayerfully consider and then we obey. And that's our goal. And all of this is that we would make disciples who make disciples would be obedient to Jesus. So it's fairly simple, I think, I hope, I hope that's clear. If you have questions, I would love nothing more than to walk you through that. I'd love to go in there and and show you that. Right. Autumn and Luke put together that great wall and they did all that and it looks awesome and they did it. And so now we can use it and walk you through exactly what that looks like. That's the goal. That we could make disciples who make disciples because that's who we are called to be. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that when we talk about being obedient to you in every area of our lives, that that is actually what is best for us. That that is where our greatest life is found. That's where the greatest joy is. The greatest rest will be living inside of what you've called us to be. And so we pray that we would grow in that. I pray that you would help us to encourage one another to grow into the fullness of what you've called us to be. Who we now are in Jesus. We want to be obedient to this call to make disciples who make disciples. And so we pray to that end that you would help us to grow in that. Uh, I pray for each person here, wherever they are, you know exactly where they are. In the areas that they need to, to grow. And so give us discernment and wisdom on how to help them to do that. And we pray that all of it would be for your honor and your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.